Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Today's show is brought to you by OnPay, the new standard in payroll. You can pay employees and contractors in minutes, automate your payroll taxes and filings, as well as provide health benefits and HR in all 50 states. For more information, visit buildingthefutureshow.com slash onpay. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Brock and Kevin from Rightspeed. Guys, welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing is really innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into Rightspeed, let's get to know each one of you a little bit better. And Brock, maybe do you want to give us a quick overview of yourself, kind of where you grew up, where you went to school, and how you got to Rightspeed? Sure. So I'm, I'm uh, uh, originally from Los Angeles. And I'm a mechanical engineer from Berkeley. Oh, very cool. And I started my career at General Motors. Okay. Where I worked in safety and vehicle validation and, and, uh, and chassis design. And uh, while I was there, I got to work on some pretty neat things, the parallel hybrid truck uh, and also some uh, forward crash warning uh, and, and some medium-duty trucks as well. And I, uh, I, uh, they also put me through an MBA program while I was there at the University of Michigan. And I went from there to Agilent Technologies uh, in a leadership development program. And while I was there, the uh, startup EV industry was starting to develop, and, and I decided to go be a part of it. And I, I joined what became Coda Automotive as their VP of Engineering and Project Management. Uh, and then from there, I wound up being the president of a uh, power electronics division of Method, a public company. Uh, and uh, then I went to Qualion, which was a, as their uh, uh, director of technology. They were a, or, or are a lithium-ion company making batteries for space and medical and uh, land vehicle applications. And we were bought by Enersys, uh, a, um, you know, a public uh, company. They're the world's largest industrial battery company. And I, I stayed on for a couple of years after that acquisition as the director of technology for their new division, uh, uh, covering lithium-ion technologies. And then I, I went and I joined uh, uh, a company, Divergent 3D, uh, which is a company that was 3D printing vehicle structures. It's a really neat company, and we also developed a uh, you know, hybrid supercar uh, that you know, goes 0 to 60 in 1.9 seconds and uh, you know, costs you know, over a million dollars. And it was a lot of fun, uh, but I was really interested in getting back to something that was uh, really focused on electric vehicles and, and uh, cleaning up the environment. And, you know, right speed had been something that I had known about and had even had some interactions with when I was at Method. And, uh, you know, they had amazing technology and, and an amazing architecture for the vehicle powertrain uh, for these heavy vehicles. And it really looked like a great opportunity to come back and uh, work on something that would have a big impact on the environment. And, uh, so I, I came over a couple of years ago and, and joined uh, Kevin and the team uh, to work as the VP of engineering there. 
Very cool. And Kevin, do you want to give us the same quick kind of intro where you grew up, kind of where you went to school and how you got to uh, Right Speed? I'm Kevin Landis. I'm the uh, founder and chief investment officer at First Hand Capital Management. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Silicon Valley product, uh, born and raised here, Cupertino in Saratoga. Nice. And uh, I always tell people I I had the uh, the good fortune of being born uh, in exactly the right place in a really interesting time and the good sense to stay put and not screw it up by moving away. Uh, so I firsthand invested in Rightspeed about seven years ago, uh, and over the years we've continued to support the company. We're uh, Rightspeed's biggest backers and uh, among the biggest fans. Um, I'm chairman of the board, and uh, we're um, – very excited, um, uh, not only by the mission but by uh, the investment opportunity as well. We hope to uh, we hope to make this a double win, um, do some good, and do well at the same time. Sure. So, what originally drew you to Right Speed then? Well, you know the the um, post uh, two thousand eight two thousand nine uh, financial crisis. Uh, a lot of the green technologies had blown up and sort of been discredited. And uh, we realized that there were still some good ideas out there that just needed a little nurturing. And, uh, but by then, Tesla was already starting to become a success. And we could see that there were reasons that it made sense to have an EV. I went out and bought an EV just to uh, kind of have the, the experience of it and the feel for it. And uh, we, I, I guess what we saw really happening down the road was economics. There was going to be a good economic argument. So even if you didn't believe in, in climate change and even if you didn't care about pollution, it would still pencil out better to, uh, to have an EV. And the reason for that was this great untapped uh, energy source known as momentum. When your vehicle is rolling – and you hit the brakes, um, harvesting some of that energy and putting it back into a battery is absolutely just free energy. And the economics of that uh, can be pretty compelling. That's particularly true uh, when uh, you're talking about a vehicle that stops often. And it's particularly true when you talk about a vehicle that's heavy. And that's ended up being this company's focus. Interesting. Okay, so for people that haven't heard of Speed. What exactly is it, and how has it evolved and stayed the same over the last seven years? Uh, well, I'll let Brock tell you uh, uh, what it is. So, uh, Rightspeed is an electric powertrain company focused specifically on heavy vehicles. Uh, so, we make uh, electric powertrains for uh, refuse trucks and transit buses and, uh, you know, heavy-duty uh, delivery vehicles like uh, tractors for regional delivery uh, or, or straight trucks uh, for delivery of parcels, for example. Uh, and we make uh, uh, just the powertrains uh, and all the software that integrates those powertrains to the vehicle uh, as well as their controls and connectivity. And... Uh, what we do is uh, what the system does is it allows us to, in a modular way, adapt this powertrain to different vehicles 
and to take what would normally be a uh, diesel-run vehicle or perhaps a CNG-run vehicle and replace that with an electric vehicle powertrain uh, using our proprietary axle and our battery system uh, and having the controls on top of all of that and then uh, telematics and instrument cluster that draws everything else from the vehicle together to one central node. Uh, and then uh, on top of that, we also have the capability of adding a range extender that's optional uh, that allows us to make the vehicle hybrid uh, for customers that, that need extra range or, or just for some reason uh, aren't able to have the infrastructure required for an EV. Interesting. Okay. So for people that don't understand how it works exactly, does it have to be a brand new vehicle or can you retrofit an old vehicle or, or how does that kind of work? That's a really great question. So, uh, of course, it can be a brand new vehicle and okay. we can put them into a, a brand new vehicle or uh, we can even supply it to uh, uh, truck manufacturers and it can be incorporated into their vehicles at the line. Uh, ah. But we can also put it into used vehicles. And the really important thing to know about, about these heavy vehicles is they tend to last 10 to 12 years, but the traditional powertrains only last five or six years. And so, okay. you know, typically these vehicles go through two powertrains in their lives. And so we can either, uh, you know, upfit the vehicles at the beginning or just have them built with our powertrains to start. Uh, but there's also an opportunity to take vehicles instead of overhauling them when they're halfway through their, their structural life and their powertrains need to be replaced. We repower them putting in an electric powertrain or a hybrid powertrain at that time. Got you. So does it have to be a specific make and model of vehicle, or can you basically do most manufactured vehicles at this point? We can really uh, uh, adapt to most vehicles. Uh, you know, not every vehicle from every manufacturer, but we're designed to fit in the majority of models from the majority of manufacturers. Okay. And then I'm assuming, do you have like specific pieces that, need to attach to specific manufacturers or, or how does that kind of work? Cause they're all a bit different, right? And the layout's a bit different. They are, but you know, the, the, an interesting thing about the uh, heavy duty vehicle industry is that it's uh, characterized by allowing the fleet operators to select uh, what content that they want in their, what content they want in their vehicles. And so it's, it's normal for a customer to specify which axles they want uh, that come from a third party, uh, which engine that they want in their vehicle, which transmission. And there's companies that make those, uh, uh, those separate powertrain parts. So it's not, uh, you know, unlike buying a passenger car where, you know, if you buy a General Motors car, you're going to get a General Motors engine in that car. Uh, you can actually buy a, uh, you know, a Mack truck and select a Cummins engine to go in it ah, okay. uh, or an Allison transmission to go in it. And, and so there's some level of modularity that's already built into these truck structures. Okay. And so we're leveraging that uh, in what we do. And so we have uh, an electric axle that's designed to replace uh, a traditional electric axle, and it has the axle as well as a four-speed transmission on it and two independent uh, high-speed motors that plug into that transmission. 
that independently move each wheel bank. And that's all one modular piece that just goes in and replaces the axle. And, you know, you apply power to it and suddenly you have uh, electric vehicle. And, you know, you can add uh, one axle for, for a vehicle that has a single drive axle or, you know, if it's got uh, dual rear axles, you can just put two in there and uh, have twice the power. And so uh, we're, we're modular in that way. And then our battery system, uh, we specifically designed the modules of our battery to stack up and fit right between the frame rails of, of these vehicles. And uh, so we can uh, be flexible and put the right number amount of battery in between the frame rails and, and really uh, take advantage of that. And because our axle has the motors right on it, uh, it, it gets rid of the prop shafts that normally connect the transmission and the engine with the axles. And so we have a tremendous amount of free space along that uh, uh, vehicle chassis to uh, install those batteries and, and mount that, that uh, battery system. Okay. So do people have to get the vehicle to you guys to install? Do you have authorized people that can install it in a bunch of cities or, or how does that kind of work? Yeah, that's a great question. We've got um, the, uh, uh, you know, what we've, what we, uh, for example, on a first customer uh, or on a customer on their first couple of vehicles that we're working with right now, where we're yeah. doing a couple of transit buses with them, uh, we got a couple of their vehicles and we're installing the uh, powertrains into their uh, vehicles. Okay. And we're doing that on the first couple just to, uh, help them out with it, uh, put instructions together about how it goes. And then they actually want to install our powertrain kits in their buses locally in the future. And so oh, we have an agreement to put together 150 with them down the road. And we've talked about, you know, uh, you know, hundreds more a year. And, uh, you know, but the idea is that they would just install them there uh, based on having, uh, you know, received a couple of buses and, and knowing how to do it. And then in addition to that, we we're also, uh, you know, in, in talks with and, and even have an LOI uh, in place with uh, some companies that do that kind of upfitting and retrofitting of vehicles. And uh, But we haven't made those announcements yet. Got you. Okay. And then I'm assuming that it takes roughly the same time to put in your powertrain as it does to kind of like the traditional powertrain. I'm, I'm assuming the time's roughly comparable. Yeah, it's pretty similar. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, uh, it's it's probably even faster on the EV version and winds up being similar in time when uh, if a customer opted to do the range extender and have a hybrid. Okay, got you. So maybe you don't have to name like customer names or anything like that, but how do you guys perform against like a traditional powertrain and then maybe talk about how much extra they get with kind of the range extender as well. Sure. Uh, so if you look at the efficiency of our powertrain, uh, we really have uh, an extremely high efficiency and we do that with our rear axle uh, by having this high speed, these high speed motors mounted to a four speed gearbox. It allows us to make sure that the motors are always in their sweet spot. They're always in their optimal operating point. And that's especially important when the vehicle's stopping and starting, as Kevin pointed out. And our first year tops out at about five miles an hour. 
and that ensures that our uh, vehicle, both when it's accelerating and when it's decelerating all the way to a stop, is really going across the most efficient region of our motors so that we're recovering the most energy possible when we're braking and that when we accelerate, we're being very efficient as we accelerate from zero to, you know, five miles an hour and beyond. And uh, so that power, that, you know, electric axle allows us to be extremely efficient, whether we're an EV or a, uh, a hybrid. And the easiest way to, to explain the comparison of the, uh, uh, of the efficiency of the vehicles is to compare the hybrids, okay. uh, the hybrid, our hybrid system to a traditional uh, diesel, because then it's sort of apples to apples of how much fuel you put in. Right. And, uh, you know, we did modeling that showed, uh, you know, uh, over 50% fuel savings on oh, wow. uh, refuse trucks. And then when we actually did our field testing uh, in the North Bay, uh, we saw even better fuel savings than that. It was over 60% fuel savings uh, on a, a pretty aggressive route. Um, but, you know, uh, and, and that fuel savings is huge, right? And you think about the airline industry, uh, they spend a lot of money on aircraft to get a, the newest, most efficient aircraft. And it almost doesn't matter how much uh, those airplanes cost uh, because the fuel of savings is so important. And, and uh, you know, it's similar in, in, uh, in these heavy trucks and the fleet operators understand what's most important is the total cost of ownership. And right. we've really optimized our system to be the most effective in terms of total cost of ownership. And, uh, you know, the, the other thing I'd point out is that, uh, you know, whether it's the EV variant or the hybrid variant, that, you know, our system is very efficient and, and creates that saving. Uh, sure. And then the savings, the savings exist both as a fuel savings, but there's also a maintenance component to that. Uh, okay. EVs, as everyone knows, are much better from a maintenance perspective, but also a big component of maintenance on these heavy vehicles is the brake jobs and brake pads themselves. Right. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's uh, normal for, uh, for example, a refuse truck or some of these heavy vehicles doing stop and start uh, to replace their brake pads every two, three months. And okay. with our system, because we're recovering all that energy into the battery, instead of putting it into the brakes, uh, the brakes last a lot longer. Uh, and there's a big savings there as well. And so, you know, it could be as high as, you know, a $40,000 a year savings between the uh, fuel and, and uh, maintenance savings. Interesting. Well, and then you mentioned earlier quickly, you guys also tie into software. So I'm assuming that you can let people know, because obviously, like, if I'm driving a, a truck up and down hills all day long, it's probably going to wear out quicker than if I'm just on, on a flat surface. So you can predict and tell me when I need to do maintenance on certain things or, or how does your software integrate with uh, the actual components that you guys put in a truck? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. Uh, so uh, in addition to making these systems that make the vehicle work uh, and do the, you know, the heavy lifting of moving the vehicles around, uh, we also then have this centralized computer for controlling all of these systems. And we tie in all of the original systems of the vehicle as well. Uh, and because we do that, we have all the data in one hub of the vehicle. Right. And along with GPS information and a telematics uh, that allows us to connect to our back end. And so we have a database of everything that the vehicle is doing. 
And so with our system, we can look at, uh, you know, where the vehicle is, uh, how much energy it's using. And you can get that information not just for a total route, but you can look, you know, right down to the block level or the house level, uh, how much energy is being used along the way and look at uh, opportunities and, and analytics to uh, make improvements to how things are done and, and uh, what, what's being achieved. And one thing that allows us to have a, a deeper understanding of that is that we're not just buying off-the-shelf axles and, and uh, motors and you know, putting them together as an integrator. We actually are the uh, you know, developers and manufacturers of, of those subsystems. And because of that, we have access to all of the sensors, not just on the vehicle, but also, you know, into the motors, into the axles, the batteries. And so we have all the vehicle information, and we've written all that software and own all that software. So, so we have, you know, all the data right down to the base of the vehicle. That allows us to, uh, you know, really do a deeper level of analysis than would be possible otherwise, and really make the vehicles better over, the, over time. So... You know, as we collect data on a route, on a vehicle, uh, we can make that vehicle better. But it all, that information also helps us make the other vehicles better uh, and, and update software over time and make improvements over time. Sure. Well, and like I mentioned to you guys before I started recording, it's like I built a bunch of these like fleet management software. And some of the hardest challenges it isn't actually the software part. It's the integration of the hardware be or of the actual like different pieces of the vehicles because they're all made by a bunch of different people, right? And it gets costly to figure out how to integrate with this and that piece and this piece and that piece. But with you guys, you guys control the whole thing, right? And so it's so much easier. And I think probably a lot of your customers and potential customers probably don't get that off the start, like how much or how valuable just that integration is alone is is that fair to say or, or what are your thoughts around that it, it's uh it, it's absolutely fair to say that that uh our our integration of our modules allows us to have that information and that's much easier than if we were trying to link together a bunch of hardware from uh you know other suppliers and so we definitely have that that advantage and it, it helps us out a lot i'd say that our our customers are quite sophisticated in terms of uh, their understanding of the importance of the data, okay. and, and you know, they're they're already doing some level of data analytics, and will appreciate what we have. And what we offer them is, uh, you know, a deeper level of data analytics than they currently have today. And so they'll they'll be able to get more information than they currently get. Uh, and and in addition to just providing the data so that they can they can have access to the data, we also have the ability to support them with analytics. No, very that's, cool. I think that's really well said. The thing that the customers all understand is that it begins with capturing that information, and we understand that. And if they want us to just give them that raw information and write their own software and have their own secret analytics sauce, oh, so interesting. be it. And if they want us to, if they want our help with that, no problem at all. Um, whether you're talking about you know big data analytics or you're talking about an AI engine or however sophisticated you want to be. None of those things work unless you've, you've captured the, the raw data to begin with. And we've kind of kept that in mind all the way from the ground up, that we'll serve up the best data to you and, uh, and serve it up in whatever form you need. Sure. So is the cost comparable to 
traditional kind of powertrains or you guys or or where are you guys kind of in the the cost space so the vehicles do cost more upfront but when okay. you look at a total cost of ownership there's a tremendous savings to be had over the life of the powertrain and okay. so regardless of what type of vehicle you have uh, it, it is a cost benefit to uh, use our system and to replace a diesel diesel vehicle so this will cost less. It's just like when you buy an EV, uh, right. you're, you're paying for some of the, the gasoline offset uh, right. up front. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, the total cost of ownership is, is positive for, for uh, you know, or, uh, results in a savings for our customers. The, uh, you know, when you look at how much it is, it depends on what the application is. Uh, but one of the better applications are, are the transit buses. Uh, okay. where the vehicles are often stopped and, and are, are in, uh, you know, traffic a lot or stopped at the, the bus stops. And in, and in those applications, our payback period is uh, two years. Oh, wow. So, so it's pretty quick. We'll have a cost benefit. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a little larger on some, of the, some other applications. It can be, you know, four years on, on some uh, vehicles that stop less and have double axles. But, uh, you know, either way uh, – it it's uh, it makes financial sense for people to be using our system. Okay, no, that makes total sense. Can you mentioned? Well, I guess can can you swap out the battery packs on the side of the road, or is it kind of no, you can't really do that, or how does that kind of work? You know, we don't see a need to to swap battery packs. Okay, uh, you know, you can charge them fast enough that it just makes sense to do fast charging of the packs. Okay, uh, and and. Uh, you know, have enough range in the pack so that they can finish their their uh, their objectives. The uh, for customers that are doing longer range uh, runs, and it makes sense. Uh, we can also add a range extender, uh, which really alleviates any concern about being able to finish uh, their drive cycles or or their uh, uh, the routes. Right. Okay. No, that makes sense. So, how do you guys? see this space going because it seems to me and especially in certain countries in the world they're basically passing legislation that everything has to be some sort of like non-gas non-diesel vehicle by a certain year in in the coming future it seems like basically everybody in the world eventually will be running some sort of electric vehicle is that fair to say or what are your thoughts around kind of the future of the space? I think, you know, it, it, legislators are good at setting policy, but they can't mandate economics. Sure. So the, 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 the key thing here is that it's welcome uh, that we get uh, regulatory help uh, and that, you know, uh, politicians want to give this a little bit of a push. Uh, but really the thing that's driving it is the economics. And sure. the fact of the matter is once you show how fast these things pay for themselves and once you show how much they can actually save money and you know, maintenance costs and lots of other things, um, once you show a, a, a garbage truck operator that um, he's going to get fewer complaints about the noise of his trucks because these are going to be a lot quieter, all of these things are going to make them want to do it anyway. So um, don't think of it in, in terms of uh, the, the people who control of public policy are going to drag this industry kicking and screaming that way. 
No, the technology just keeps getting better. And this is maybe a jump start, uh, maybe, you know, um, giving the industry a jolt and really encouraging people to, uh, you know, do those first few evals. But really, this is going to happen anyway. Interesting. Brock, you were going to say something too, I think? Oh, I, uh, that was spot on. Uh, that's exactly uh, my sentiment on it. No, I, interesting. No, I, I agree. I, I think it's just a matter of time, right? And you're right. It's nice that, you know, policymakers want to do this. But yeah, if it doesn't make economic sense, nobody's going to do it, right? Or if it's too, co- if it's not cost effective for the average person to buy it, it's just people aren't going to buy it, right? It's, yeah, it's interesting. So I, I'm curious, though, do you like, and correct me if I'm wrong, I was reading somewhere a while ago that battery technology hasn't really changed a lot in the last like hundred years, but it's gotten a lot better recently and it's about to get a lot better. Is that correct? Or or what's the state of kind of batteries and are we going to get the like really, really long range that we've kind of always hoped for and expected or what, what's the state of the battery space right now? The, the batteries keep getting better. And, uh, you know, we're using off-the-shelf cells just like all of the other uh, okay. integrators and manufacturers of these kinds of systems. And that allows us to improve as the uh, cells and chemistry get better over time. And and we've seen it. I mean, the, there's no uh, official Moore's Law for the uh, energy density of, of lithium-ion batteries or batteries in general uh, as the chemistries advance. Uh, but what we've seen is that, that the uh, energy density of the cells has been, you know, approximately doubling every seven years or so. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. And, and uh, it, you know, it looks like they, they keep on improving. And, and so as the, uh, you know, the cells keep getting better, the chemistries keep improving, and, and uh, the energy densities get better, uh, we're going to see uh, uh, more and more range in these electric vehicles and better performance of the vehicles over time. Sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious though, do you think that like a technology like you guys are building could ever make its way into kind of consumer cars or are you guys just really focused on the bigger, large trucks? We're really focused on this heavy-duty industry. Uh, okay. It, it's, it's really the important place to be focused. There's plenty of people that are making really great passenger car, EV, okay. and hybrid solutions. Uh, but when you look at the heavy-duty vehicles, it's a whole different set of problems. And, you know, something that, that people don't realize is just the, the amount of mass and, and power required to move these things around. Uh, you, know, it, it, you know, you see these vehicles, and they always look like they're moving a little slow, and they're not doing anything too aggressive. But, you know, there's more power associated with one of these trucks uh, going up an off-ramp uh, than, than you see uh, in, in a fleet of cars going around a racetrack. Uh, so, you know, and we're, we're really adapting our system to be the perfect thing for these uh, heavy trucks. And, and really the benefit to the, the fleet operators is huge. But the, the uh, benefit to the environment is really significant as well. I mean, uh, you know, one statistic that's important is that, uh, you know, these heavy-duty trucks make up only 4% of the vehicles on the road. Uh, okay. But they account for 30% of the emissions uh, produced 
uh, of all on-road vehicles. And so there's there's really a huge opportunity here to have an impact on the environment in a positive way. Sure. So how do you guys deal with changing weather conditions, especially in colder climates? Uh, Like, have you guys had to deal with that yet? Because as far as I understand, and I could be totally wrong here, it's like battery technology doesn't have as big of a range in like you know middle of the winter in like a, in a cold place as it does obviously like in a warmer place like california is that is that correct or or how do you guys solve that problem you just use the hybrid model or in those locations or how does that kind of work you know our, our batteries tend to run uh do really well uh in both hot and cold because we have uh, a pretty sophisticated thermal management on our system okay. Okay. Uh, so the, the environmental conditions don't affect the battery that much. The place where you'll see an impact on range is on, uh, on buses where oh, you okay. have to provide hmm. energy for the heating and cooling of the cabin, uh, ah. you know, on hot or cold days. And so, so there you can see a reduction in range and, and it's important to do things, uh, um, uh, in an efficient way for both heating and cooling of the cabin. And, uh, you know, in, in some uh, areas and some conditions, it would make more sense to just add a range extender if, if people wanted, or we can just carry more battery is the other option. Okay. No, it makes sense. And then what about, because I don't know a ton about it, but the, like, I know in colder climates, like traditional diesel trucks usually just like stay running for hours on end when it's super, super cold because they, they can't shut off because they won't start again. So, like, how do you guys solve for a problem like that? Because, obviously, you're not polluting the air by if you have to keep your car running, or do I not have to keep my truck running because I have this EV solution? Or how does that work? Yeah, that, that's a huge benefit of uh, both electric vehicles and hybrids is that, okay. uh, you know, when you don't need the, en- the uh, power, you can just turn the engine off and be running the accessories straight from the battery. And, uh, you know, be still providing heat to the cabin and, you know, have the vehicle ready to go uh, and then start the engine when you need it. Uh, or in a full EV, uh, you know, when you're stationary uh, and you're, you're just obviously not putting any energy into the motors. And so uh, that's, that's a big component of the savings. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I think a lot of people like outside of the industry probably don't realize how much pollution is happening just when the truck's just sitting there right in in certain parts of the country and and, and the world really yeah it's, it's right uh, yeah, yeah. and you know what the the big insight there is think about a car commercial i when i see a car commercial i i, I see well first of all it's always wet pavement but uh, for some reason but I, <laughs> I i see cars going zero to 60 and people's hair being blown back and then i see a car on cruise control uh, in some lovely freeway setting. Um, and you'd get the impression that that's all anybody ever does. They go zero to 60, and then they, uh, and then they hit cruise control at highway speeds. The real world isn't like that. In the real world, there's starts, there's stops, there's traffic, you're speeding up, you're slowing down. Uh, and that's really complicated. And uh, I, I guess maybe that's the, that's the difference here, is that almost all of our engineering trade-offs uh, are made with an eye towards what actually happens in the real world. And uh, that's, that's where you're going to get the benefits of ownership. 
No, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. But we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and any other links you want to mention? Well, I guess uh, I, I guess we have one of those websites, so uh, you could <laughs> you could go to rightspeed.com and see a little bit about it. Um, we've there's not a lot of info ab about us right now because we've we've been pretty stealthy uh, as someone who was early to the market, but uh, uh, more and more you'll see it uh, uh, on our website. And it's with a W, like right with a W, speed.com, just so people correct, know. correct. Well, guys, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your days to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Okay, okay. bye. Yep, bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.